Welcome back to the fifth week in a series called Your Modern Family, and we're talking about the relationships that matter most. And it's really not just for married people. This is for everyone. In fact, if you take the principles you've been learning and apply them to every one of your relationships, for example, when I talked about disciplining uh, your little tiny kids, I was amazed that, you know, if you take those same principles and you use them, if you own a company, you run, run or manage a group of people, and, uh, you know, you, you just get very clear about your expectations and you get a grip on yourself. It's amazing as you walk through those steps how God can use those in your life to make you successful. And so we started off talking about an idea that is so far from where the world is today, and that's the idea of a covenant relationship. In a world where everything's based on contract, where everything's based on, well, what are you going to do for me? And if you do for me what I want you to do for me, then I'll do for you, but Getting back to the original idea that um, I have decided to never leave you or forsake you, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and to really mean that. And we've held up the ideal through these last few weeks of what is the dream that God has for our relationships. I asked your permission to share the dream of God with you with the promise that there's no judgment for the mistakes we've made or the path that led us to today because we're not looking backward. Um, we can learn some lessons from the past, but everything about this series is about your future, where you're headed, and how we can make today the first day of the best days of our life, which I really think are in front of you. And uh, I want to invite you today to, to listen to this topic that we've specifically prepared for this morning that talks about what do you do when you're in a relationship and there's a spiritual mismatch where you're at one place spiritually and your, 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 your spouse or the person you're dating or the person you care about is at a completely different spot. In my experience, what most people do is they, they tend to ignore that. They tend to think that, well, it will work itself out over time. Our love will keep us together. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You can have two people standing side by side, but if they're looking in even a slightly different direction, as life goes on, they end up further and further apart. And at some moment, they realize, well, what are you doing over there? And they try to grab that person to their point of view. The other person tries to grab back, and all war breaks out. And you have a spiritual, you have a conflict that spills out. It began spiritually, really, but it spilled out to every area of your life. How do you navigate that mismatch? Well, I asked Steve Arterburn to talk specifically about this because as Steve speaks on the radio to um, you know, to, to millions of people during the week through his uh, syndicated broadcast, New Life Live, people call in from all over the country, and he and I were talking about how almost every call at the root of it is a significant spiritual mismatch. Two people that, that got attracted to one another, got, got, uh, got together in some way, but at some point, their expectations and their values, where they were headed in life, were so mismatched that it began to spill out. So he answers these questions. So there's a wealth of expertise here. And Steve also is the editor of the New Life Recovery Bible. And he's an expert in helping people navigate through those issues, giving them the advice they need to get them back on track. And so today, we're going to walk through a series of steps of how can you navigate the mixed match that most people find yourself in. This will work whether you're on your job, no matter how old you are. If you're 16, if you're a young person thinking about dating, you need to know these seven steps. So I'm glad he's here to share this with you, this next segment. Put your hands together. Please welcome Steve Arterburn. Thank you. Thank you. I, I always feel sorry for Darren 
when he's here um, and I'm preaching because, of course, he doesn't have to worry about what he's going to say. He has to worry about what I'm going to say, and that's pretty tough. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've thought about this recently, but some things just don't match. You know what I'm talking about? Some things just don't look good together, or they just weren't made for each other. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. Now, uh, you know, foil and a microwave do not, that, that's not a good combination. It uh, doesn't seem like truth and politics go together. Uh, state troopers and me, they don't do too well. Um, you know, there are all sorts of things that, that aren't good uh, and don't, don't match. You know, I'm not talking about cultural because, you know, we're in a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church. And I know some of you uh, have, have married into different cultures. You, you've married somebody from Kentucky. And, and I'm not, I, I, that's just not where I am today. But I've got some things that I don't think some of you want to hear. If I'm going to be as gentle as I can, I do not want one drop of shame to fall on anybody. I'm just talking about maybe you've got some decisions that would be helpful uh, to make. And, and so uh, I want to go right into the, the first point, which is adhere to God's Word. We either believe it or we don't. We either follow it or not. We either obey it or we don't. And um, Jeremiah 7, 23 says, This is what I told them. Obey, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Only do as I say, and it will go well with you. Now, you know, it's amazing. Uh, there are two trends that go against what God wants for marriage. And one is moving in together. Um, and, and did you know that about three-fourths of the people uh, over 30 getting married are, are living together before they get married? And uh, that, that, that's a lot. Um, and, and then if you look at what I want to talk about, in the uh, 60s, there were about 20% of the people that married somebody that wasn't a Christian. But in the past decade... That rose to 43% of the people that were Christians married non-Christians. If you were 26 to 35, 58% married non-Christians. And if you were 36 to 45, 67% married non-Christians. And of course, uh, when an evangelical marries, their divorce rate is 33%. It's not as high as the world. But if you marry a non-Christian, your divorce rate is 50%, and if you marry someone with no faith, it moves up to 61%. So God wants us to marry people that are Christians. And you know, uh, this has been going on for quite some time, and uh, Abraham wanted his son to marry um, someone that was a distant relative who believed in his God, the God of Abraham, uh, and he didn't want them messing, didn't want him messing around with those Canaanite girls because of their reputation. What was their reputation? They worshipped idols, not God. So he wasn't being discriminatory. He was being discriminating when he was talking about who he wanted his son to marry. John two three says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. 
If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So, you either believe God's truth uh, or you don't. You can be a professor of truth, but God wants you to be a liver of truth. God calls us to be livers uh, when it comes to his truth. And, and that means that we obey him, not reject his truth. Now, here's a typical call we get from New Life, and it's, it's from a woman. And she says, uh, I've been living with a man for 10 years that I'm not married to, and I am just, you know, I, uh, spiritual things are so important to me, and he's just not there. And I don't know how to motivate him to get more spiritual. And so we say, well, don't you think, like, when you moved in, not married, that you were kind of saying to him, uh, it's okay not to be too spiritual because it doesn't really mean that much to me. So a lot of people do that. Now, I'm going to talk about this, and then I'm going to get into some areas, and, and, and something is going is to speak to you. Uh, and, and I wish you'd say to yourself when it happens, there it is. That, that's what was for me, okay? All right. Now, uh, here's the deal. Another, uh, this is actually a call we took this week. Uh, I've been involved with a man for three years, He's showing red flags. He has anger, unforgiveness, and has been verbally and physically abusive to me. And he says he'll never forgive me for trying to move him toward being a godly man. Should I continue to pursue him? That is a true call. Should I continue to? He doesn't have red flags. He has those yellow and black radioactive uh, stickers on his forehead is what he's got. She's desperate. Three years of her life, she's got to get out of that. Because second point I want to make is we need to avoid getting kidnapped in an unequally yoked marriage. And if you're dating a lot of non-Christians because you're a missionary dater, which that never works, uh, at all, or you're just saying, uh, you know, it's all going to work out. Uh, it, it isn't going to work out. And you're not just committing. It's a covenant. All right. So here's what uh, First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15 says. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, um, another way that God tells us this is Deuteronomy 20.10. You must not plow with an ox and an ass. It just doesn't work together. And, and because, you know, they're, they're not even the same size. You might be thinking, my spouse is as big as an ox. But your spouse might be thinking, my spouse is an ass. And, and, and it doesn't work. You know, the, the plodding of the ox and then the spirited nature of the donkey, uh, it just doesn't work together. But in Matthew, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So some of you are in unequally yoked marriages, 
already, and, and I want to give you uh, some truth uh, from God's Word. But we don't want to rationalize our circumstance, because many people, uh, they're not going to marry Mr. Right, they're going to marry Mr. Right in front of me. Whoever it is, that's, that's who they want. And, uh, and many decisions have been made out of romantic uh, chemical addiction. And, uh, and people have suffered for years just because the romance was there. There was a young fiancé who called her mother and said, Oh, Mom, I can't believe it. Two days before the wedding, he tells me that he doesn't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know what to do. She said, you marry him, and by the time I get through with him, he will believe in hell. Well, that's, see, that's, that's not good. And uh, we, we don't want uh, to do that. But we want to follow God's truth, or it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt others, and it's going to hurt Jesus. Now, the third point I want to make is that if you are unequally yoked, you need to accept your situation. And this might be a Christian, non-Christian, or great spiritual person, weak spiritual person. But God says, accept your situation rather than saying, oh, well, I'm unequally yoked. I'm out of here. Uh, I, I've got a good excuse. No, you don't, because it says in 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way, you husbands must give, no, I'm sorry, uh, accept your situation. Each of you must continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain where God first called you. So you're to stay in that same situation. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 1.13, but there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. There is a structure. Now, that structure isn't a dictatorship, and we'll show you how it, it, it equals out in just a minute. But many, many people... Uh, are not accepting their situation. Typical thing happened to a young newlywed. She'd been married six weeks, and she called her mother, said, Mother, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, th I, this is not the man I married. He is nothing like when we were dating. And, and I'm miserable, and I want to come home. And uh, this wise mother said, Honey, you are home. And that's, that's what we have to do. We have to stay in the situation. God wants to do something with us in the situation that we're in rather than move us uh, beyond. Now, uh, what we want to do next is we want to, rather than put down our unbelieving spouse or think that everything that's going wrong in the marriage uh, is all about this faith thing, what we want to do is admire the spouse. Admire the spouse. Find what's admirable and admire that. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. You, she may be the weaker than you, but, but is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And if you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will go unanswered. So we need to honor our wives, admire them, and honor them. And Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts 
on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So we need to say positive things. Like the woman said to her husband, honey, without your glasses, you look like that same handsome young man that I married years ago. And he said to her, well, honey, without my glasses, you look pretty good too. Now, that's not admiration. That's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, because those kind of things lead to divorce. In fact, uh, there was a there was a, uh, a man that wanted to buy a, a doll for his daughter, and he went into the store, and uh, the clerk said, well, here's uh, Barbie gets to the snow for 1995. Here's Barbie gets to the beach. That's 1995. Here's uh, Barbie gets to the lake. That's 1995. And here's Barbie gets a divorce. That's $265. The guy says, why is divorce Barbie $265? Oh, well, she comes with Ken's house, Ken's boat, Ken's car. So it's a little more expensive there. So we don't want divorce. You don't want that. But let me tell you how you get to divorce, okay? Here's how you get to divorce. You get overwhelmed with life, the kids, the schedule, the finances. And when you get overwhelmed, Satan goes to work. And when Satan goes to work, uh, he increases your expectations of your spouse to fix everything that's uncomfortable in your life. And so you become totally self-centered and, uh, and you start a very negative cycle that can end in divorce if you don't stop it. First thing you do is you start to distance yourself from this person who's not fixing your life, not meeting all these expectations and needs that you have. And then you start building these hurdles that you want your spouse to jump. Yeah, I want dinner on the table when I get home. Or I want flowers whenever he comes back. Or, or I, want the, I want us to be able to balance the budget for the first time. And these hurdles are set up. And every time your spouse knocks over a hurdle, you just get more angry and more angry. In fact, you get so angry that those hurdles turn into walls and there is complete rejection of your spouse and, um, and you're, you're trying to uh, protect yourself from an inferior human being. But that isn't what, what the Bible says to do. The Bible says to honor and admire and focus on admirable and true and excellent and right and pure and things that are worthy. Let me read you what one woman, a Christian woman, wrote about her mismatched spiritual marriage. She said, I was married to a non-Christian. I had a judgmental attitude, mentally Christian, I mean critical, to his actions and words. I was sarcastic, I played the martyr, I treated my marriage as my cross to bear. I didn't treat my husband with respect. Ephesians 5.33 says, a wife must respect her husband whether or not he's a Christian, whether or not you feel like it, or whether or not he deserves it. 
I focused on my circumstances, his negative attributes. I focused on sitting alone in church with the burden of being the spiritual leader at home. Despair, loneliness, and pain were my constant companions. That's Courtney Johnson from a book, Women Living Well. So, so she said, she admits, I did not admire him. I resented everything about this man. And there's no excuse for this. Whether you're same faith or not, whatever. If you are married, you are to admire and honor that person. And you may have a hard time finding what's honorable and admirable, but find it. Or remind him of a time when, when the, it, you did admire. And then number five is to affirm daily what is positive in your spouse. So we need to say it out loud. Uh, Philippians 2.14, in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. So, so no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of, children of God in a dark world of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. And that's what we want to see happen. We want a non-Christian to be married to a Christian, and the Christian's life shines so brightly. And, and maybe you weren't Christians when you got married, and then she becomes a Christian, let's say. And he's talking to his buddies. He ought to be saying, I'm telling you, this Christianity thing is the greatest thing in the world. She respects me. She honors me. We have sex when we, I want to have sex. I mean, it's the most incredible thing ever. I'm going to look into it. It is so amazing. That's what we want to see. But instead, what we often see is just complaining or trying to manipulate the person into God or, or uh, trying to force them or put them down because of their spiritual lack of strength. Well, I got to tell you, you're never going to see books like Withholding Sex Until He Beholds the Savior. That's, that's not a book that's going to, or Criticize Her to Christ or Treat Him Like a Clod for God. Uh, you won't see the book Judge Her to Jesus. It, it's not going to happen. We're not called to do that. James 5, 9 says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. One study uh, of the first 10 years of marriage showed that it were, there was very little difference in what leads to divorce and what doesn't. Out of 100 things said, those that stayed together said five disparaging things to their spouse out of 100 those that got divorced said 10 disparaging things out of 100 to their spouse. So the, the less negative, the more likely you're going to stay, to stay married. And then they studied the second decade of marriage and found out that the disparaging, insulting comments increased five times in the second decade. And so their conclusion was that, you know, eventually uh, relentless, unremitting negativity takes over. And we can't let that happen because we need to admire uh, and affirm or we end up reminding our spouse of every fault that they have 
while adding a few that they don't. So um, this leads us to number six. We need to ask God to change us to be more like Jesus. Now, this is for every married person and every single person. You can't lose by asking God to change you to be more like Jesus and go through whatever it takes to do that. But instead, we ask God, please finally change this other person so I can be happy. Well, let me read you an, uh, an example of uh, how that uh, just doesn't always do the trick. Listen to this. My husband was baptized, but he did not pursue a relationship with God. And I, uh, I resented all the ungodly things that he did. I felt like a martyr. I couldn't be active in church without his support, and I focused on all of his negatives. Then the unexpected happened, and my husband fell in love with God. Problems ought to be over, right? Well, she wanted. That was the problem. He just wasn't spiritual enough. My husband fell in love with God. The roles were reversed. Now he wanted me to do the extra that I had wanted from him. I became resentful of the fact that he could give up so much to the church, and I had to give up everything. I resented that he, that he took for granted that he could give this time to others at the church when he wasn't giving it to us at home. I ashamedly admit I was jealous of his relationship with God. Now, you got to ask the question, who should she have been praying for, him to change or her to change? You see, there's the evidence. Sometimes the other person changes, nothing changes, or it gets worse. So we need to be praying for God to change us so that we live more like Jesus. 1 Peter 3.1 says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husband. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent uh, lives. And then James 1.19, Dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and uh, slow to get angry. Is that the way you are with your spouse? Are you living more like Jesus? Are you, uh, are you living a godly life that just bowls them over? Are you the kindest, most loving, grateful, affirming, uh, respectful, attentive, accepting, serving person in your spouse's life? Or is somebody else filling that role? Or nobody and your husband is dying? There's no excuse for not following that truth. But a lot of people are, are miserable. There was a lady speaking to a women's group, and, and uh, she asked the women, do any of you want to mother your husband? And nobody raised their hand except one little lady in the back. And the speaker said, ma'am, are you sure you want to mother your husband? She said, oh, no, no, no. I, I thought you said smother. I, I'm sorry. So, so we can, um, we don't want that. Ogden Nash uh, wrote a little poem that I think is worth uh, memorizing. 
It says, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it, and whenever you're right, shut up. And I love that. So either we're going to pray for God to change us to be more like Jesus, or we're going to require God change our mate. And when that mate changes, you're still going to be you. So let's change, and let's, let's ask God to make us more like Christ. Uh, back to Courtney Joseph, she said eventually she prayed for God to renew her love and passion for her husband. She prayed for God to show how that even when he was uh, even when he was dis hello <laughs> for God to show how to respect him even when she didn't feel like respecting him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, she was able to love and serve him even if he didn't deserve it or even if she didn't feel like it. And she learned to serve him with, with joy, placing his needs before her own. Christ can give a gentle and kind desire to be a blessing to a man. And now when I fail, I ask for forgiveness and try again. Abiding in Christ enables a believing wife to live with and thrive in a happy marriage with her unbelieving husband. Now, if you're in that situation or you're in a situation you don't like for whatever reason, God wants to advance you in character through all of this. James 1, 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested and your endurance has a chance to grow, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. And James 5, 11 says, We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know how about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So I certainly understand, Darren certainly understands that, that you are in some situations that are horrific, going through some pain uh, that is horrific. But if you will trust God and stay with him, he will advance you in character. And, and you will come out a person that looks more like Christ, lives more like Christ, and the joy in your life will return. So we can't emphasize the negative. or We need to be motivated by a dynamic relationship with God. We, we need to deserve we need to desire the love of God for other people and to be the person that delivers that love to someone else. That's what God wants us to do. Mark Twain was asked by a, a Mormon if he could find an, a scripture anywhere that speaks against marrying multiple women. He thought a minute and he said, yes, no man can serve two masters but you can serve one master. You can serve our Lord. 
And in serving our Lord, you serve your spouse. Now, I wanted to finish with a story showing the impact of love. But I didn't want to finish with one of these, and he became a Christian and everything worked out great. But love has an impact. There was a Buddhist monk named Tashi. He was uh, born in the Himalayan plateaus, and he never went to school. He became a Buddhist monk. He went to India. He was there six years. Three of those years, he was so sick, he was in the hospital. But he said these Christian nurses took care of him. They loved him. They showed him the love of Christ. And he said, so even though I was sick, I was happy in my heart. He said um, he knew that the Christian faith must be good. Then one day he found a Bible and he started to read in Luke and he couldn't believe that Jesus sacrificed his life for him. He said in his country, he knows of a guy that sacrificed his eye and gave it to another person and that that's quite admirable in their culture but, but that Jesus didn't just give his eye, he gave everything. And he said, so I wanted to practice Christianity and I wanted to practice Buddhism. Well, I met an old friend of mine and he started to um, share the gospel with me and I argued with him because I thought you could, there were more than one God. But then I was reading in Luke where it just said this, love your enemies. And he said, I started to think that this must be the love of God. It was like drinking a, a cool glass of water that I had never had before. I had lived in, in the uh, most populous countries and never encountered this love except for one time when those Christian nurses showed me that love. And on that day, I said, God, you're the real God. Whether I'm rich or poor, whatever, I am yours. And he said, on that day, I became a Christian. And I am no longer a Buddhist or a monk. He said, it took 13 years from the time those Christians showed him that genuine love until he finally accepted Christ as his Savior. He said, but if he had not come in contact with that kind of love, he would have never, ever accepted Jesus. We are called to love. We're called to love like Jesus because the love of Christ is transformative. And um, I don't know what... I've said that maybe make a difference in your life, but I just know this. God has something for you today. And I want you to imagine what would happen if everyone here would just go and love people like I was talking about. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody left here committed to giving up their resentments and bitternesses and forgive and just love each other. Wow, what an impact.
we would have on this community. This church would be a different church. Well, you can do that. You can make that decision to love like Jesus. Let me pray for you. Oh, God, I, I, I know there's so many needs here today. And we do not count lightly the suffering and the pain that is going on right here today. Lord, um, be with those who are in pain, who are, are really enduring. And God, at, at some point, help them to see your hand in everything. Lord, help us to leave here loving other people, especially those we live with, exactly the way you love people and you love us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Will you give him a great round of applause this morning? Thank you so much. I often think that sometimes the most profound ideas, brilliant ideas, are the most obvious. We just don't see them. You, you could be in a relationship that's as mismatched as an orange shoe with a blue shoe. And yet none of this makes sense unless you first go after, you know, the big idea of this whole series, which is God's dream for all of us is to follow after a God who says to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so as we're pursuing that, we, we want to say, I'm never going, I want to be like that. I, I meant it when I said from this day forward. So can you imagine if we stopped trying to get our way and stopped trying to do what we wanted to do and what we think needs to happen? No more rolling of the eyes or sighs of exasperation. <laughs> no more controlling of information, trying to get the other person to do. But instead, we ask God to do something in our hearts. And then we decide we are going to affirm, we're going to admire, and we're going to love people well. So when you love people well, that's when Christ is seen. Christ in you is really the hope uh, of our lives. And so that's what we're going after today. So I'm just asking you again, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? It's, it's a different application for every person. But application means what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do Today, Some of you, this is a great day for you to decide, you know, today's the day I'm going to follow Jesus. We baptize people at the end of every service, and we give people the opportunity to declare from this day forward, I'm going to follow him. If today's your day, we have everything that you need. Uh, what a beautiful weekend to just say in front of your family and your friends and the people in this church, after our service today, I have decided I'm going to follow after Christ. I want to give that opportunity to you and let you know that we have towels and uh, hair dryers and all of the clothes that you need, but if today God has spoken to your heart, you, you can make that decision today to pursue a relationship with him. Um, if you need prayer for any reason, um, we are here, we, we love you, we want to pray for you. In fact, I just want to remind you that one of the most normal things that you can do in church is to pray. We'll sing, we'll hear God's word, but, but prayer is a part of coming together. So after the service is over, I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. If you need prayer for any reason, you come forward and meet one of our team who will be here at the front, uh, on, uh, on, the, on the sides. And all you have to do is just say, you know, I need prayer. Will you pray for me? You don't have to be a member of Heartland Church to ask for prayer. This is for everybody. And uh, we'll stick around and, and pray with you and help you and even connect you to help that, that you need uh, in your life. So, hey, folks, it's time for the offering. Let's give to the Lord today. Let's... Uh, Give him the first place in our lives with our income. 
Thank you for your generosity and for your giving and for your willing spirits and your heart to do that. It just makes all of this happen, all the great things that go on in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, all the way through adults. Um, it happens because of your generosity. We say we're grateful for that. So again, if you need prayer for any reason, in just a moment, please come forward after the service. We want to say we love you. Well, just stand with me. I want to say a scripture over you this morning as a blessing. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's not like the peace of this world, hmm. which has to know how everything's going to work out. It's the peace of this world. But let not your hearts be troubled. Neither, neither let them be afraid. Amen. Father, I pray that your love, I pray the peace of the Lord Jesus, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit will be on every life here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. Keep coming back. Thanks for being here today.